This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas, and welcome to our podcast. We've cancelled our Christmas party plans amid an impending investigation into our antics last year, so instead, we are podcasting, and I'm joined once again by our Africa editor, Ed Reed and our Asia-Pacific editor, Damon Evans. I'm going to kick us off this week, guys, uh, with the the gift that keeps on giving, that is the, the Cambo oil field. This is the, the battleground project for climate campaigners who've been hoping to see this uh, west of Shetland development stop dead in its tracks. They might get that, we will see. But um, of course, we were sitting, waiting for the, the Oil and Gas Authority to, to give a decision on whether or not Cambo would be given the, the green light from a regulatory perspective, which would allow the operator Sicker Point Energy and partner Shell to proceed and ultimately take a key final investment decision. However, on Thursday evening, we had news from uh, Sicker Point and Shell saying that the latter, Shell, uh, who owns 30% of Cambo, has decided not to proceed through with investment, which sent shockwaves across the oil and gas sector here in the UK. So, I found the fact that this came from Shell quite surprising, and there's more we can kind of dig into there. There's a huge amount we can dig into in this, to be to be honest. Shell's reasons where this leaves the project, but I guess before before I start digging into all of that and rambling away, just to open up to you guys, uh, Ed and Damon, from the international's perspective. I mean, how have you guys honestly viewed this quite UK-focused announcement? I guess Is, do you see it from being important from an international oil and gas community or not really? I mean, I, I suppose, you know, from, from my perspective, it, 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 it sort of plays into that idea of the UK being an increasingly difficult place to pursue oil and gas projects, doesn't it, really? I mean, I think obviously, you know, Shell presumably has their uh, has their reasons for, for doing it, you know, whether that's you know, making the making the numbers work, or all that sort of environmental pressure. And obviously, that's a kind of a, a topic for, for for much debate. But I thought it, it was it was interesting that you know the same, pretty much the same day that that Shell said that they weren't going ahead with Sicker Point, uh, they are sort of they you know, launching a, a sort of a big sort of seismic campaign off uh, off South Africa, mm. off the uh, the sort of the the, the southern coast, which has been incredibly controversial right there've been protests there've been you know court cases there've been you know people are saying you know we're you know boycotting shell fuel stations companies are saying they're no longer you know sort of you know going to engage with shell things like this and obviously shell kind of going ahead and it, and it, and you know it, i suppose it just kind of you know highlights that sort of difference doesn't it where mm. you know that 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 obviously there are places where you can do things and and, and some places where where maybe you can't and I, and, I, and i suppose you know that sort of that's the cost of doing business uh adds up doesn't it what do you what do yes. you think damon yeah i was going to say that you kind of put it very eloquently and politely about the uk deterring oil and gas business and yeah, I did want to use the word banana republic, but yeah, I don't know if the UK is quite there yet. But um, it does remind me of some of the things we see out here. And we'll talk about in Indonesia later how uh, big oil companies are leaving because the way the government treats them. And yeah, I personally wasn't surprised that Shell, you know, preempted whatever was going to happen in the UK and said, well, you know, why should we invest there? Why mm. should we put our money there? It's too, seemed too difficult to me. 
Yeah. Just, just, just on one point, Damon. If I could, I think it would be a banana monarchy, not a banana republic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair play. <laughs> so, it's an important point of contention there. Let's just make sure we get the vernacular right. Yeah, I, I, from a, from a shell perspective, I guess the portfolio of projects they've got on a global scale, Cambo is obviously relatively small. It's big for the UK. It's symbolic, but ultimately, if campaigners think it's going to hurt Shell to step away from this, I'm not. I'm not sure it does. Um, it might have hurt them to stay with it. Um, and you do notice whenever the rhetoric around Cambo co- comes up, it's not really Sicker Point Energy, the operator that's mentioned. It's it's the big name Shell. So to, to start with them, uh, so as I say, they have 30% of the license and announced on Thursday that they wouldn't proceed with it because the economic case for investment in this project is not strong enough, as well as the potential for delays. And I'm assuming that latter point is a, a veiled dig, perhaps, at the many protesters um, probably doing all they can to, to stop it. Um, the, the economic case is interesting because ju- just in October, we had uh, Ben Van Buren and, and Jessica Yule, the, the CEO and CFO of Shell, kind of defending the investment case specifically for Cambo, discussing kind of supply and demand and you know, domestic production. They've talked a lot about the prospectivity of the west of Shetland, particularly, and, and Shell's enthusiasm for that region in the past. So... I think you're right, Damon. I don't think it's a huge surprise, but it, it does come across in the context of what they said recently, maybe a bit of a U-turn in terms of what Shell have said um, in that context. So was this like was this purely economic, or was was it just getting a bit too hot from the environmental perspective to bother with? I think I think I think it it's got to be a combo of the two. It's it's not huge from a Shell perspective. Could it be used as a kind of stick to beat them with uh, on an environmental um, front, perhaps? Um, and there are other larger projects elsewhere with uh, a smaller profile. I mean, just just on that point about sort of you know trying to pull apart those kind of that kind of economic and environmental threads. I mean, I think there there is something to be said sort of co- for combining those, right? I mean, I think presumably the the. The, the fact that it's going to take so long that they're going to see so many court challenges, that they're going to have presumably extra security, whatever, that is going to have to be kind of calculated in, that will have a monetary impact, won't it? Mm. So I think, you know, the, there is a point where environmental issues can have uh, a, an economic uh, price. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I guess that's going to come into consideration more and more, particularly in the UK. Um the, the, the fact uh, that this came from the kind of other point I wanted to mention about this is a few points. So if I start rambling, we'll, we'll just stop. Um, but the, the fact this came from Shell, it basically means um, getting into that environmental um, question. It basically means that now it doesn't really matter what the OGA and by extension, the UK government might have said about Campbell in terms of regulatory approval. I mean, Shell reversing its decision has, has kind of taken the spotlight somewhat off of uh, the OGA and Bayes, in, in, in my view, and it now means they don't need to say that a project can't go ahead, which I think might have highlighted this perhaps conflicting agenda between um, MER UK, maximising economic recovery, and net zero. Um, I think I think having to make a call on Campbell in that respect might have made the position a bit difficult, and they're still waiting to put these climate checkpoints in place for new projects. And of course, it's not really a surprise that this comes after uh, COP26 has uh, settled down. Um, but where where does this leave Campbell? Um, Sicker Point is is private equity backed, um, but you know Shell bought into thirty percent back in twenty eighteen. The commercial terms were never fully disclosed. What was said at the time was that Shell would include a carry cost 
on any subsequent approved development on Cambo. And Shell's obviously not just that CapEx investment case, it's also a pretty technically astute partner there, a lot of experience to help a company like Sickerpoint through development of a big project like this, the ideal partner in, in, in many ways. But, um, you know, I think, I think you've got to assume that financial might of Shell is also a big part of the reason for the initial farm down. And we've had analysts saying this doesn't kill Cambo, and it doesn't necessarily, but it's a huge spanner in the works. I think there's no getting around that. The license expires, I think, in March, which gives you a sense of how soon they were expecting to greenlight this and get FID. Is Sickerpoint going to get another partner on board for it? Is it, it? It's attractive. It's also quite problematic, and I think it's fair to say at this point, you know, it's, it's high profile. So there's a question mark, I think, on terms of, in terms of the future. Um, I think if if I'm giving just an opinion, um, probably the most likely will be some um, private equity backed operator, um, and and you know Shell gets scrutiny for not being um, transparent enough. But you know there's a lot of new names out there in the North Sea, a lot of companies that you probably you may not may or may not recognise um, from an international sort of perspective. So they're 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 not the they're not the <laughs> There are people who are less transparent that could come in here, um, and you know you wonder about whether or not people would still scrutinise it without that shell um, involvement. Um, and there's also a, a few other points, um, just very quickly um, before before I run out of time. But what we have now is the 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 west of Shetland. You want to electrify the projects there, big big projects of the UK. You want to cut emissions um, by removing an electrification ready project like. Um, Cambo, it also means that BP's Clare and other big fields out there, actually the, the, the case for electrification and from the economics of that uh, are damaged. And of course, the next thing to look out for will be in May, where we have Equinor's Rosebank, which lies about 25 miles away from Cambo in the west of Shetland. Uh, and they're, as I say, expecting FID in, in May of this coming year when the, when the licenses are expected to expire. So we will keep an eye out. On that, but for now, and I say for now because you know, you know, it'll be back. Um, <laughs> zombie Cambo. Oh, Zombie Cambo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll park that there. And next up, Damon is looking at Conical Phillips' Indonesian exit. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, the industry experts who investigate and report to a global audience on what matters in oil, gas, and energy transition. We help organisations understand the geopolitical, economic and financial factors that underpin market events and give you a view on what's coming over the horizon. As a listener to this podcast, you can get a free trial of energyvoice.com, giving you two weeks of unrestricted access to the latest crucial news and insight. The trial is entirely without obligation, we don't want your credit card and there's no auto-enrolment at the end. Simply email trials at energyvoice.com to get the best market analysis in the world free. Check the episode notes for details. So, Damon, uh, some more big news breaking out of Indonesia. Another big company on the way out. Yeah, Alistair, it's been in the works for a while. ConocoPhillips have been uh, looking to exit Indonesia. Um, we weren't sure if they'd be able to find a buyer for their massive corridor block, uh, gas block onshore at Sumatra. Um, but uh, local independent Medco Energy is paying $1.35 billion uh, to buy over ConocoPhillips assets. It's a mature asset. It's, um, you know, it's been around a good 20, 30 years. 
Uh, they're also getting a share in a pipeline network which connects um, uh, Sumatra, Northern Indonesia, and the lucrative uh, Singapore market. So it's a good deal all round. Um, it's a bit sad for Indonesia. It's a bit of a blow, especially as they uh, want to attract more foreign investment. They've got big hopes of boosting oil and gas production, like really uh, lofty targets by 2030. Uh, they need the the big gas projects to go ahead, uh, which includes Shell's got um, an Abadi Masala project with Impex. Uh, Chevron has a big uh, IDD International uh, Indonesia deep water project. Um, so it's it, it's not um, yeah. So from that aspect, it's a bit of a blow, but you know at the same time, it's a, a win-win perhaps for ConocoPhillips. They got out, and Medco Energy have got quite an a, an attractive deal. Um, co- interestingly, ConocoPhillips has at the same time exercised its preemption right for an additional ten percent stake in the Australia Pacific LNG project. Um, and as my friends at Wood Mackenzie told me, Conoco is effectively swapping a mature asset in decline for a stable long-life asset with access to LNG demand upside, mm. uh, which, which was announced at the same time overnight. And, um, and you know, that's, that, that seems like a smart move from ConocoPhillips. And also overnight we had uh, JERA, Japan's JERA, um, agree to finally sign off and take a, a 12.5% stake in Santos Barossa LNG project for $300 million in Australia. So I think that highlights the attractiveness of, of Australian LNG at the moment and, and, and the future. Mm, mm. It's, it's, it, it is difficult for Indonesia because now it, once these big names go, it'll be hard to get them back and they're probably the kind of guys you need to invest and undertake the um, frontier exploration which is needed to meet their production targets. But but uh, such is life. The government has not been so friendly, a bit like perhaps we were talking about earlier in the UK, or maybe that was more environmentalism. But um, mm-hmm. we've had uh, we've had resource nationalism, which has not been not been fun for the the big oil companies since you know, past eight nine years, really. Yeah. So in in terms of 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 these, is it just is it just a case of Indonesia's kind of declining production profile? I'm just I'm thinking about the kind of we've had. Several measures um, leave the the North Sea, and and as I say, private equity players have, have come in and, and bought up these stakes. I mean, is is that the predominant issue that uh, Indonesia is facing here in terms of that investment from the the big big players, or um, what would you say is kind of is there, is there an overarching kind of pattern here or not? It's a bit it's a bit different. I mean, several of the major energy companies have exited or reduced their positions in recent years, including Total and Chevron. I mean, here you've got some big gas fields that are undeveloped and kind of stranded because of the government's actions and and the, the uncertainty around regulations and a shift in kind of political and business environment, which has made it hard to invest. Also, a lot of these assets are quite mature. And when the contracts were up for renewal at the end of their 20 or 30-year period, whatever it was, particularly in the past decade, there was a push and a drive to 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 not entertain the the foreign the big foreign players anymore and to to give all the contracts to Pertamina. Um so there there was a general, you know, Indonesia basically saying you're not we don't really want you. We want to give everything to our, our national oil company. We we can do it ourselves. And that kind of 
that kind of push them mm. out. It's interesting, I think, Conoco, isn't it? Because it, it's it's making some quite interesting sort of M&A movies. Obviously, it's just completed, I think, in the last couple of weeks that that big Permian deal that it did with Shell. I mean, kind of coming back to Shell and that sort of recycling and, and sort of reshifting of assets, isn't it? And, and, and I suppose also quite interestingly, it's been sort of discussed as, as, as making a potential move with uh, Total Energies in, uh, in Libya to buy out Hess. And I, I, it seems, I mean, the Libya thing seems like a bit of a, a bit of a curveball, but the sort of the move to maybe sort of double down in the US, move from Indonesia to Australia seems a bit like a sort of a moving to more benign regulatory pastures, doesn't it? Which, which I suppose kind of continues that theme that we saw in that that first section, Alistair, with, you know, maybe Shell moving away from, from Cambo, maybe, you know, that obviously that kind of question mark over the UK. And I guess it's that question about, you know, where do companies look next? And, you know, I guess Australia and its, its, its LNG sector is quite quite an appealing uh, area. Is, is Libya a gas asset too? Well, so Libya is quite interesting. I mean, I, I guess, look, so obviously it's... Well, it's 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 had a very tough ten years. I think you know it's kind of a, out of a sort of a civil war and and, and various sort of political ramifications. But uh, the cost of production is extremely low. They say so, and 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 the resource is is substantial. So if things you know kind of get better in Libya, then there is a chance to make a serious bank. I would say, um, obviously, that comes with political risk. Um, but it's 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 primarily oil. But you know it's 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 a, it's an it's an attractive idea if it works, which is a big question. I guess that's the the, the Libya move is the bit that possibly undercuts my idea about uh, moving to a more benign uh, pastures because uh, Libya obviously moving towards an election in the next couple of weeks, uh, and that may. I mean, depending on who you talk to, may sort of see some sort of return to outright conflict. So who knows? Fingers crossed, obviously. But mm. um, I suppose, you know, the, the, the Permian and that sort of Australian LNG thing seem like, you know, a sort of an, a, a safer safer place to do business, don't they? Than Indonesia or even Libya. And I think with Conoco, I mean, they're quite shrewd in some of the moves they make. And they're very generally are quite focused on on gas or LNG and have been. And I think, you know, you talk about Libya being a politically kind of risky. They also have a history, Conoco, of liking to go to places like that where they have the ability to kind of influence behind the scenes. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but their influence <laughs> behind the scenes in Indonesia that's has very, deteriorated very well put. <laughs> in um, recent years. And and I know, if, you know, I know they were trying to work out what was going on with the government, how we can influence them or, you know, maybe... Uh, improve the the look of international oil companies in Indonesia. So you know Libya, yeah, it could be interesting and could be a fit for them because they do they do have an appetite for that kind of. Uh, don't know if Wild West is the right word, but <laughs> those kind of places. Mm. <laughs> well, even in places that are you know relatively stable, like the UK, as as we we're talking about, it's not exactly the same issue. But you can have a government that says repeatedly we're going to you know we're going to back the oil and gas sector we're going to have a good investment regime for you but um i guess in in what might be seen as a more stable uh, government situation you've also got you know a, a strong democracy and 
Loud voices, which um, may or may not, as we just discussed, have um, dissuaded some investment from from Shell and the likes of of Cambo. So I suppose every region has its own uh, set of problems, but we will leave that uh, for now. Thank you so much, uh, Damon. And next up, Ed is back with our old friend, Algie Clough, who's making moves in Zimbabwe. In this uniquely challenging environment, the global energy sector is looking to its leaders to drive the conversation forward. Companies at the forefront of our industry need to communicate how their expertise can help clients and the wider community now and when the market rebounds. Energy Voice is the trusted voice leading the global energy conversation on coronavirus, the oil price crash and the energy transition. Over the past month, energyvoice.com has been read over a million times we reach 1.4 million people on social and more than 12,500 people subscribe to Energy Voice. Because what we say matters. And because energy is our language, we can offer you a unique integrated marketing service to ensure your expertise gets maximum exposure. A comprehensive suite of content services brings your message to life, expert consultation hones that message to perfection, and we have opportunities to share it across editorial, special reports, video, podcasts, webinars, and display advertising. To find out more about speaking to over 1 million qualified users in global energy through our peerless digital news and insight platform, visit energyvoice.com content services. We want to help get your message to the right people. And in these challenging times, we're pleased to offer a 25% introductory discount on new campaigns. For this and more, energyvoice.com slash content hyphen services. Okay, Ed, Algie Clough, the, the North Sea pioneer, no stranger to Africa, and uh, seemingly will not retire. Uh, what, what's he been up to? I know, right? It's amazing. I mean, there was that thing, wasn't there? I think it was, was it 2019 that he, he was sort of trying to hang up his boots? Yeah. And then he did some sort of interview where he said he'd, he'd retired for three hours. He went out for a drink with uh, Lord Spencer and they had a bit of a chat and he was like, hey, let's let's maybe go and do some oil and gas in Africa. <laughs> so Algie Clough saddled up and, and headed off. Let's go do um, it. Yeah, so kind of kind of amazing. I think I think so the the first move I think that that, that I saw was um, he seemed to sort of sign some deal for some blocks in Sierra Leone. I haven't heard anything about that subsequently, but now he's uh, he's sort of struck a, a, an option to uh, take a stake in a in this project in in Zimbabwe, where in a, where an Australian company called Invictus Energy is uh, doing some stuff. So Invictus essentially sort of discovered this sort of treasure trove of seismic from that the Mobile shot back in the 90s um, and sort of re-kind of, uh, re of analyzed it, reconsidered it and thought, hey, there's something here that looks quite interesting. Um, so they, you know, they sort of uh, lined up this, uh, this, this, this project called Kaborabasa. Um, and, you know, obviously, as is the way with these sort of small companies, the, 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 the drive then is to sort of try and get funding. So they were looking for some, for some partners to come in. Um, they, they did reach an agreement last year with some people, and then that sort of fell apart sort of mid this year. And now, uh, you know, just, just this week announced this new deal with uh, Clough Energy Africa, Algae Clough Reborn. Um, <laughs> an image. So, so the deal, you know, is, 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 is quite interesting. 
it's so I think it's it's an option, you know. So it's obviously sort of, you know there are opportunities on the table. I think uh, it one well, part of the the option is kind of contingent on on algae kind of coming through with uh, with some cash for the uh, for the drilling of a couple of wells in uh, in Zimbabwe. Um, so there 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 are sort of a, it's a quite an interesting uh, you know sort of a possibility. And obviously algae Clough, you know, in addition to being a, an oil man, has got you know experience in Africa in in sort of the mining sector. I think he was involved in a big gold mine in Zimbabwe in the 80s, mm. I think. Uh, obviously, mining, not really my area, but that was one of his uh, areas of interest. So who knows? What what sort of a man is uh, Algie Clough, Alistair? Should the, uh, are, are the, are the Zimbabweans ready for what is coming? Um, Algie, Algie was... Uh, I've spoken to him a few times. Um, it, my pre- predecessor, Mark, who, who was on the podcast, it was, he was really um, Algie's big, big fan. Um, <laughs> at this, it's kind of the guy, the more you find out about him, the more interesting and shrouded the history appears to be. This is a man who's got uh, two books, one of which was a memoir called Get On With It. <laughs> um, so that gives you some sense. If if you were to conjure um, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons, I think he probably wouldn't be too far. Algie, if you're listening, please forgive me, but I'm just trying to give an image here. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, from the from the North Sea exploration perspective, he was really one of the, the pioneers out there. I think he was involved with the initial find of the Buchan oil field, if I'm not mistaken. That was certainly one of the bigger ones back in the the 1970s. And and yeah, as you say, uh, as you say, Ed, he's uh, uh, been involved in uh, all over the place, including kind of the exploration for for gold in Africa. So um, yeah, yeah, an interesting man. Um, you know, he, he was good for um, commentary on on the government for 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 a time. Um, I think until. They were looking for some exploration licenses to be granted, and <laughs> he declined me in that particular uh, uh, instance. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's always it's always interesting to see him um, pop up, and and you know, as as you say, we were kind of, I'm sure we did a big piece about. Algie Clough, uh, you know, announces retirement. He heads off into the sunset after a huge, uh, you know, storied uh, history in the industry. And this is when uh, Clough Natural Resources, um, which is a kind of a North Sea company, and uh, they've they've now changed to Deltic Energy, um, post Clough, if you like. Um, but yeah, no, no, no sooner had we written that, we heard he was he was back off to to Africa again. So uh, you know, I I think he's just not the type to um, not the type to to retire. Um, Damon, what kind of image is this? Is this uh, conjuring for you? Is this is, is, is this sounding pretty bizarre? Or? It sounds pretty cool, like wildcat in buccaneer kind of. I don't yeah. know, it's kind of like a bit bit movieish, but uh, yeah, gold. I'm imagining he went looking for gold in Zimbabwe, but could be any metal, I, mean, I would suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Unique characters like that used to have a, you know, the industry used to be and probably still is to an extent, full of these kind of characters, and they're, they're great to. To meet and hear their stories, yeah. Well, I think, I, mean, I, I think, yeah, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? I suppose because it is. I mean, I think particularly in Africa, there is this sense that you know people do just sort of uh, set out with a bit of a wing and a prayer and and sort of uh, find their way. And I think you know it's it's quite interesting. I suppose you know it it, it things that sort of uh, buccaneering sort of you know minnow sort of exploration idea kind of really fell off, didn't it? in the last few years mm. and it's quite interesting to sort of see it coming back and i think i mean i suppose you know the the sort of the parallel that 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 analysts sometimes draw with, with between uh invictus's kabora bassa is with um 
Recon Africa in uh, in Namibia, um, where again, you know, it's it's some people with a you know sort of a dream, and obviously they've had sort of you know quite fantastic success. I mean, I don't know quite what their uh, what their share price is now, but but Recon Africa got to about a billion dollars in terms of a market cap, which is extraordinary for a, you know a company that is just you know sort of doing the sort of minnow sort of exploration, drilled a couple of wells, you know, just sort of trying to make a go of it. So. I think there is a sense where you know there there, there are still opportunities. I mean, you know, honestly, you you, you started uh, you, you started this episode by talking about the uh, the things that I uh, had promised you. I was sort of going to talk about, but then uh, but then but then reneged on. Yes, <laughs> I was going to talk about uh, you know some some comments from uh, the Aramco boss. I mean, NASA oh, yes. uh, this week at a conference uh, who was talking about this sort of the idea of a sort of chaotic energy transition. And I, I suppose in a way this this sort of uh, this sort of algae cloth Invictus deal kind of plays in to that the idea that we're still going to need exploration that we're still going to need oil and gas no matter you know how how much uh, things might change um in the in the interim there is a need for uh, you know additional energy and, and particularly in zimbabwe i think you know so zimbabwe obviously has got you know trouble on a number of fronts but one of the problems is with power generation mm. And uh, the the this 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 uh, project that Invictus is looking at is uh, it's something like nine TCF of gas, something like two hundred and fifty million barrels of condensate, something like that. So it could be like a really significant way to provide power to Zimbabwe, the local area, the you know I suppose the the wider region. Obviously, you know, there's some quite interesting sort of uh, liquid exports idea. So, I mean, it, 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 it's sort of off topic from that, uh, from the from my Aramco promises uh, <laughs> from, from from the setup. But I, I feel that there is a, a sort of something of a link in this sort of idea of a, of an energy transition and, and how to go about it. Yeah, no, it's it, it is. It was interesting just noting that, and and I see in the piece you were mentioning this this the potential uh, carbon capture and storage, which I, I I imagine must be one of the earlier ones in, in Zimbabwe anyway if, they, if that was to come off so I'd be very interested in seeing how that that arises yeah uh, NASA's NASA's comments um, uh, kind of tying into what we discussed earlier it seems uh, politically um, the sort of thing that you you just can't say anymore um, there's a film there's a film called Thank You for Smoking where oil and gas just kind of eventually joins the um, smoking guns and one other lobby is kind of the horsemen of the apocalypse it kind of feels like we've manifested that now uh, in terms of if you support the industry then uh, you know you're, you're, you're politically um, maligned but I think there's probably something in it uh, you know the, the assumptions about you know how long it will take for us to transition away from oil and gas. I think if he's, and it sounded to me like he was implying that some some governments around the world are kind of perhaps in denial, or at least some politicians are in denial about um, our requirement for energy, for oil and gas specifically um, going forward. So yeah, I, I can I can see that um, playing out. You know, you can perhaps even see some parallels with uh, the Scottish um political landscape right now uh, in terms of 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 the the malignment of oil and gas but it's not something you could say anymore so i i, I don't know yeah i mean, I mean the, the nasa comments were particularly interesting particularly in that he's he, he was talking in the us uh you know where clearly the 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 biden administration is making sort of net zero commitments i think they've just said you know all federal vehicles are going to be evs from i think sort of uh, 
maybe 10 years out, something like that. Mm. Um, but at the same time, the, the Biden administration also putting pressure on the oil industry to pump more oil because obviously uh, American drivers like cheap gasoline. And it is that 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 tension, isn't it? And I, think, I suppose that's a particularly stark contrast. But essentially, that's something that we're seeing all over the world is this idea about you know moving to some sort of uh, an, an energy transition where we're maybe not so reliant on carbon. But in the meantime... We still want to drive around. We still want to heat our houses. Well, I mean, energy transitions historically take at least 20, 30 years. I mean, how long did it take to go from coal to oil? It was decades. And then LNG, gas, you know, oil to gas, decades. And and what, the politicians reckon we're going to do it in 10 years by 2030? <laughs> it's, um, it's ambitious. <laughs> that's, a, that's a stretch. You know, we're going to have triple-digit oil prices because of all this, and then I don't know what Biden's going to do then if he's if if his yeah. vice president hasn't kicked him out by then he's or whatever. Going to release <laughs> all of the oil, <laughs> yeah, the tax, <laughs> yeah, dump the SPR, fill it back up at two hundred dollars. Oh gosh, <laughs> great move. Yeah, no, it's uh, no, it's pertinent points, and I think I think your tone there, uh, Damon, absolutely sums it up. Uh, so I think I think for now that is that is it. Oh, one final plug. We have our uh, 40-page Energy Voice supplement out this week. It was printed in uh, the Press and Journal, but obviously it's out available online. Um, and we've got loads of great interviews in there, uh, including Oil & Gas UK. We've got lots of input on Cambo, on COP26 and various other issues and Scott Wind columns and all that. Fun fact, um, put, that to, put that to bed on Thursday afternoon, an hour later, Cambo decision from Shell. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so that was a fun 3.30 a.m. job. So any uh, oil and gas companies listening in, deciding to um, you know, make big decisions about your future and certain licenses, please do keep Energy Voice's editorial shift calendar in mind going forward. Thank you so much. Okay, that is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Damon, for joining me. I've been Alsa Thomas, and thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.